The voice of Nick Saban in his first public comment since retiring on Wednesday, a move that sent shockwaves through the football world and really transcending football is the name Nick Saban. He made these comments exclusively to ESPN, and we do have a few of them really explaining why he felt like this was the right time. And he did mention his age, though not health. He says there's nothing wrong with him physically, but that he felt like his age of 72 maybe prevented him from doing what needs to be done. I actually thought that uh, in hiring coaches, uh, recruiting players, uh, that my age started to become a little bit of an issue. People wanted uh, assurances that I would be here for three years, five years, whatever, and it got harder and harder for me to be honest about. See what I mean? That's more about putting the health of the program and the long-term future of the school and its football team ahead of what you want or what you desire. Maybe Nick Saban could have managed the rigors and the demands of his job for another year or two years or even three years. The issue is that players and families, even assistant coaches, wanted to know that he would be there long enough for them to bloom where they're planted, long enough for them to make investments and put down roots. And he just couldn't give that assurance anymore. Selfless. And there he was on Thursday morning, back at the facility, back at the stadium. He wants to help with the transition and make it as easy as possible doing whatever he can to support the Crimson Tide. Incredible. Don't have a new head coach yet, though I have heard the reports that one could be named as soon as the next two, three days. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Happy almost Friday. We're getting so close. It is Super Size Wild Card Weekend. But, man, there's been so much news. We haven't even really gotten to talking about the matchups themselves. But if you hadn't noticed, up on our social media, both our show Twitter, After Hours CBS, and our Facebook page, the After Hours Game of the Week poll, we're asking you to pick it. There are six games this weekend. We only have four in the poll. That's on producer Jay. So, okay, I'm just kidding. He mans the suggestion box. I'm happy to take your complaints. I'm going to let you go and check out the poll to see which ones he left on the sides. Which ones he put on the cutting room floor. They hit the cutting room floor, baby. I actually haven't even noticed yet. I haven't had a chance to look at it. But I am excited to see the reaction of people. So it's the Wild Card Weekend Game of the Week poll. Check it out on Twitter and Facebook. And we will definitely start to look at some of these matchups as we head through this edition of the show here, After Hours CBS Sports Radio. But for the first time on After Hours, we're pleased to welcome David Cohn, former Michigan quarterback in light of the Wolverines winning their first championship in years, going back to the late 90s, but also a radio host, part of Crane & Company on The Daily Wire, based in Nashville. And man, what a good time to be able to talk to you, David, not only because of the Wolverine success, and we'll get to that, but I need to know what's your reaction to Nick Saban's bombshell on Wednesday that he's retiring from football? 
Well, I was live on Memphis radio yesterday when it happened, and we had been talking about Michigan's victory for about 10 minutes. And and my buddies over there said, oh, by the way, what are your thoughts on the breaking news that Nick Saban is retiring? (laughs) And I I have to say that one took me uh, me aback a bit. Uh, And, you know, I was fortunate enough to marry into the Alabama family and the Alabama Mm -hmm. tradition. My wife went to Alabama. Her father is Richard Todd. He played quarterback for Bear Bryant. So I've gotten to see up close and personal just what what this football program means to the Alabama Crimson Tide and what Nick Saban means to them. He's the greatest college football coach of all time. What a legacy. And what I said today is the accolades and the statistics, each one gets more impressive than the last. It sort of reminds me of when Tom Brady retired that you just, there's, it's just so impressive. You can hardly put words on it, but what he did for the community and for the college is even more impressive. I think he was paid $130 million over 16 seasons and in Enrollment went from 25,000 students per year to 40,000 students per year. It was a 60% increase when the national average was a 10% increase. He brought in billions of dollars for that university and for the uh, the town of Tuscaloosa. So uh, it's sad news for college football, but I'm so great that we got to see that Michigan and Alabama matchup in the Rose Bowl. As, as upset as I know Florida State was for not being in there, I'm so glad that we got to see that now, knowing that that was Nick Saban's final football game. Mm, Yes, thank you for saying that. That's a good point. I'm glad that we didn't miss out on that opportunity either. I keep hearing the narrative about how no one's going to want that job, or if you take the Alabama job, you're doomed to fail, or wouldn't want to follow up a legend, where I kind of feel like the opposite. The, The winning culture and the structure is already in place, and you have every bit of support that you could possibly want or need to be a success there. When you think about the type of coach that could follow and take that job, next what's the right fit yeah that's a wonderful question my co-host jake crane has said for years now whenever this happens you don't want to be the guy who follows the guy you want to be the guy who follows the guy who follows the guy (laughs) i understand conceptually what he's talking about but with that being said the line will be around the block and if it's not hey i'll do it for half at this point you know (laughs) Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I, I, I'm just more interested to see how much say Nick Saban has in who replaces him. It may be 100%. The athletic director, Greg Byrne, just may hand it over completely to Nick Saban and say, here's the right guy. And if that's the case, then you have to look at the usual suspects of who he has had in his inner circle before, coaches who have worked with him and who he trusts. So that's why Steve Sarkeesian always made sense um, because, you know, he helped provide vitalized Steve Sarkeesian's career and uh, certainly you know getting Texas back on track has been one of the most impressive things around the country one of the most impressive achievements to make the college football playoff there I just don't think Steve Sarkeesian is going to leave a place that has the same sort of blue blood history that Alabama does and he's taken the time to build that up uh, they have just as much money and they're going into the SEC next year so I just don't think uh, Steve Sarkeesian would say I'm going to leave a great situation to go over to another great situation and have to follow up Nick Saban. Dabo Sweeney's name is always going to get mentioned because he won a national championship as a player for Alabama. We've seen what Jim Harbaugh just did uh, at his alma mater. We've seen what Kirby Smart did at the place that he played. Mario Cristobal going back to Miami where he played. Certainly his name's always going to come up. I just don't think that Alabama fans want Dabo Sweeney to be the coach, which has shocked me for a few years. But more importantly, <laughs> one of the reasons Nick Saban, I think, is leaving right now is because of the, the, the seismic shift 
shifts in the landscape of college football, i.e. the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness and everything that goes along with it. Well, Dabo Sweeney at Clemson hasn't really embraced those elements since he won his two national championships. I'm not sure how um, you know quick Alabama's going to be to hire him. We've seen Dan Lanning, who was the first name on the board, has already passed on the job. He's going to stay at uh, he's going to stay at Oregon. So we're going to go through these lists of usual suspects here. I know a lot of Alabama fans have been laughing at this for 24 hours, but the name Bill O'Brien is on a list. It was just Nick Saban's offensive coordinator. He has head coaching experience at at the college level and uh, at the NFL level. Um, you know, I understand that that's not the um, the sexiest hire, so to speak. But his name's going to be on a list, and if enough people pass, you know, Nick Saban's going to going to pull the trigger on someone. We're really excited to spend a few minutes with David Cohn, who's a former Michigan quarterback, so we'll talk about the Jim Harbaugh element coming up, and he's also part of a very popular Daily Wire sports show called Crane and Company, based in Nashville. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence here on CBS Sports Radio. Well, since you brought it up, what is your perspective on the changes in college football and where they're leaving the game and potentially even chasing some of the greats out? Yeah, and we've seen it in college basketball as well with Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams. Look, every industry uh, goes through changes. That That's not surprising, and people adapt with the times. What's difficult for me is, is with college football being my favorite sport, we're going through seismic changes without leadership. You know, I think the NCAA has recognized that they have lost their stranglehold on college football. That's not the case for college basketball. They still host a great tournament in March and the, and the Final Four and all of that. But college football is sort of in this state where the on-field product is as good as it's ever been, but because the NCAA has lost its grip on that and, and has lost a few key court cases, you know, out in California um, with the O'Bannon case and the Alston case, basically saying, hey, you cannot prohibit student athletes from capitalizing uh, on their on their name, image, and likeness. I think the NCAA has just said, you know what? We're, we've done all we can do. We're just going to just open up the floodgates, remove every guardrail, and force Congress to act. We've had Senator Tommy Tupperville and Senator Ted Cruz both on our show who are working on legislation, even though I don't think, you know, having Washington try and fix college athletics is the <laughs> right thing to do either, which is why I pleaded with Nick Saban on our show this morning, please, now that you've retired, take a leadership position in college football. You're the one guy who would be unanimously listened to. In short, what I'll say is when I played college football at Michigan, of course, it never seemed right to me that I couldn't sign an autograph for $25 while a kid in my math class could or that I couldn't mm-hmm. accept a, a breakfast paid for me or else the school was going to get in trouble, you know, and Reggie Bush having his Heisman Trophy taken away and, and all of this silly stuff. At the same time, I didn't feel um, exploited. You know, I didn't think like, hey, I, I'm a professional who needs to make hundreds of thousands of dollars. I knew there was a professional level. If I was good enough to play at that level, then I would then I would play the game professionally. I understood the concept that I, a, a college scholarship is being awarded to me. Um, At the same time, I've never met anyone who loves college football because the guys aren't getting paid. You know, I come from South Georgia. I mean, and and this is America. Like, if you have a skill set that warrants compensation, we're all for that. No one says, I love college ball because those boys out there aren't getting paid. There's just, there's a way to do it. Name, image, and likeness was supposed to be between the player and the, the, the sponsors, right? Between Bryce Young and, say, Dr. Pepper. It was never meant to be pay for play, but it 
if it's going to be that, if we're literally just going to say, hey, you're a top recruit in high school, I want you to come play for me, and I'll pay you $200,000 to do that, again, there's a way to do that. It just needs to be transparent. When Tom Brady signed a new contract with the Patriots or with the Bucks, I knew how much he was getting paid, and I knew what was expected of him. I have no idea what's being expected of these kids when they get this NIL money from the collectives that are from the boosters of the schools. Do they have to play in bowl games? Do they have to play a, a full season? Can they sit out? Can they miss? I don't know. It needs to be transparent. And then the transfer portal, again, yeah, I had to go through a coaching change. Coach Lloyd Carr brought me in. Rich Rodriguez came in and ran an entirely different system. I thought about transferring every single day for a while. It, it, it never sat right with me that a head coach could leave and go accept right. another position. I'm stuck here when I'm not going to get any playing time under some new system. Uh, at the end of the day, I decided to stay and probably would have even if I had a free transfer uh, eligibility. But now, again, we've gone so far. The pendulum swings so far the other way. It's opened up the floodgates to where we're telling kids, hey, the first time, uh, the first time you don't get on the field, you can just uh, you can quit and change teams. You can play for five different schools in five years. What is that? I mean, I would have run home to South Georgia the first chance I could if I I could have just transferred any moment. I don't think that's a good thing. Uh, again, some of these problems, the solutions are so simple, but any attempt by the powers that be in the NCAA to institute these uh, solutions is seen as being exploitive, uh, exploitative of the student athlete, and they're getting shut down in court. So, again, we need someone like a Nick Saban to step up and say, hey, here are some of the basic uh, solutions that we have. Maybe we don't take a month off from our regular season to our postseason. You know, maybe that's an easy place to start. What other sport would do that? We end the season at Thanksgiving, and then we don't play our playoff games and our championship games for a full month until New Year's. That's a broken sport to me, and it seems like the solution would be fairly easy. As a former Michigan quarterback yourself, what if you wake up on Friday or Saturday or Sunday, and it's Jim Harbaugh who is leaving Ann Arbor in this case? What's your reaction? Well, after going 15-0 and 0 and accomplishing this perfect season in the national championship, I have to say I'll help him pack at this point. You know, he's done everything that he can do, and uh, certainly I hope that he stays. I hope that a lot of these players stay and run this back. But what a magical season. It's the greatest season in the history of Michigan football. And not only that, but with everything that they had to overcome, all of the adversity, you know, all of this nonsense of, of advanced scouting throughout the season or, or recruits showing up in a COVID dead period. So Jim Harbaugh has to miss 50% of the season. Uh, again, I don't know all the details of what went on in those situations. I just know when I see Jim Harbaugh, I see a guy who loves his players, who loves his staff, who loves his family and who was doing a good job at Michigan, but not a great job at Michigan because he wasn't beating his rival. He lost every game to Urban Meyer. He wasn't winning his conference and he wasn't making the college football playoff. And in 2020, when things got as bad as they've gotten for him, he pointed the finger at himself and said, this is not good enough. I haven't been good enough, but I will be or I'll die trying. Since he mm -hmm. said those words, he's gone 40-3. and three. He's beaten his rival three times, won the conference three straight years. He's beaten the greatest coach in the history of college football and Nick Saban in the Rose Bowl, and he's had a 15-0 and 0 perfect season and capped it off with a national championship. And we can honestly say this was the greatest year in the history of Michigan football, and the guy who played quarterback for Bo Schembechler, the guy we wanted the most eight years ago, came home, 
and he delivered it for us. You know, I, I would have loved an opportunity to play for the guy. I can just see the team is so galvanized behind him. They care about him. He cares about them. And uh, he's always going to be an attractive NFL candidate. Why? Because he's one of the few guys who's had success at both levels. Right. So I don't know what's in his heart. I don't know what he wants to do. If he stays, hey, let's let's continue on this, uh, this path that he's helped build. If he leaves, I'll be rooting for the guy at the next level. David Cohn's a former Michigan quarterback and now radio host. So, you know, I always tell athletes, welcome to the dark side uh, on the Daily yeah. Wire. Crane and Company is how you can find it. Uh, and it's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio, where we're pleased to have him for the first time. What does it mean to be part of the Michigan family, which got so loud and proud over the last few months? <laughs> you know, being from South Georgia, I had no intentions of going a thousand miles <laughs> from home to play college football but I did have one goal and that was to play college football and Lloyd Carr, Scott Leffler and the University of Michigan gave me that opportunity. They believed in me. A lot of blood, sweat and tears went into my time at Michigan and you know even if you, you go and look at the stat sheet and say well David Cohn didn't have that much success on the field and he, you know, he, didn't, he didn't play that much and lead to a, a lot of wins. I can say that uh, no less effort was given by me or any of the guys that I played with during those years than was given by this championship team. Uh, you know, we went out there every single day and, and did try, tried to deliver a championship the way this team did. But that's what makes them so special is, you know, while we were three points away from a national championship appearance, they finished the drill and just we're all standing on the shoulders of who came before us, right? Uh, me being a, a thousand miles away from there to, to be steeped in the Michigan tradition and what it means to be a Michigan man, it meant so much to me, even right when I set foot on campus. Three months into my tenure there, I was in the room for Bo Schimbeckler's final speech. Thursday night, he passed away the following morning, and then Saturday was the one verse two Michigan and Ohio game. I remember it like it happened yesterday. It's a part of my blood. It's a part of my being. And so for a guy like Jim Harbaugh, who was a Michigan guy, to be the one who's taken them to a championship now, it truly is incredible. And that's always been something that is important to Michigan. So when you talk about Alabama, do they need a guy, an Alabama guy, you know, Nick Saban wasn't, and Nick Saban wasn't right. an LSU guy. He wasn't even from the South, and he won national championships at both of those locations. I think it's going to be about, you know, who is like-minded when it comes to when it comes to the relationship with Nick Saban. Who does he think is the best steward for what he has built? Because if you get the right guy in there, you can have continued success. It's still is the most attractive job in the country. Alabama, for many years, had fallen off and had struggled. We do have to remember that they also had Bear Bryant at one point. So they've had two of the, the top five greatest coaches in the history of the sport. They're going to get the right guy. It's going to be tough. It's going to be, it's going to be a tough gig because even if that person goes undefeated and wins the championship next year, it's going to be seen as, well, those were Nick Saban's guys. If he wins it against them next year, it's going to be seen as, well, Nick Saban still built this. I understand <laughs> it's a hard gig to follow. But at some point, the thing that makes college football coaches go, the thing that makes them work 365 days a year and spend so much time away from their family and on the recruiting trail is the reason that someone's going to say yes to that job and give it their all. It is all-encompassing, that's for sure, which is one reason that Nick Saban has decided he cannot give it everything that he needs to be able to give it at this point in his life. And I'm happy for him that he's still healthy and he can enjoy what's in front of him. All right, David Cohn from Nashville, the Daily Wire, Crane & Company, former Michigan quarterback. 
If you don't mind, I got to ask you about that proclamation of sorts from the NCAA president earlier this week on the heels of the Wolverines winning the college football national championship. So give us a quick break. We're right back. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours podcast. takes a knee, and Michigan, the Wolverines, have won a national championship. Wolverine players, Wolverine alums, Michigan fans everywhere, Jim Harbaugh and your staff, your team is the number one team in America as the clock ticks down and Michigan completes a 15-0 national championship season here in Houston. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. That's David Karsh from Learfield. The final call of the College Football National Championship from the Wolverines' perspective. And oh yeah, alums exulting all over the country. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio. We're spending a few more minutes with David Cohn, who is a former Michigan quarterback. And who is high in the hog right now, of course, because it's the greatest season that Michigan football has ever seen, according to David. Now, David, I don't know what this meant to you, but I thought it was somewhat amusing that a couple days after the Wolverines had beaten Washington, the president of the NCAA called the championship fair and square, that Michigan earned it fair and square and that there was no tainted nature that Michigan won it without the benefit of any cheating. Okay, seriously, to know that the president of the NCAA called it legitimate really did make me laugh out loud. Well, I find it quite odd that he would say that yesterday while the investigation is technically still open. <laughs> okay, well, what, what, what are we doing here then? And not only that, not only that, a notice, an official notice of wrongdoing for that incident still has not been delivered to Michigan. We just got the official notice of wrongdoing from the COVID dead period Burger Gate scandal. <laughs> oh, and guess what? They dropped it on National Signing Day. Trust me, we know what's going on here. The NCAA does this all the time. They said they knew about Cam Newton supposedly being paid at Auburn before the season started, but when did the story drop? Oh, it happened to drop the week Auburn played Georgia. Uh, they said they knew about advanced scouting for Michigan before the season started, but the news drops by ESPN before um, Michigan's even told about it. What day? The day before Michigan plays their rival, Michigan State. So, you know, the NCAA has led from behind, if you can even call it leading for so long. It's, it's just, it's it's astonishing to me, but good on Charlie Baker for at least saying yesterday, yeah, this, this legitimizes the, uh, the Michigan's national championship. It was a tough day for the asterisk vacate crowd for sure. <laughs> on my show right after Michigan captured the title with a really angry Wolverines fan who called from Ann Arbor, just so angry about the, the coverage and the publicity all year from the media. And I just wanted him to be happy. I just wanted him to be excited about his team having won a championship. So there is validation in this, right? The fact that, as, as Harbaugh said, it worked out the way that it needed to. 
And that's why I think this is the most important season in the history of Michigan football because it's one thing to just have a great team and you go win a championship. That would have been special enough with everything that we've gone through for the last two decades. But to do it when everyone calls you a cheater, to do it when your arch rival says, well, yeah, you beat us back-to-back years, but it was only because you did X, Y, and Z, and you are cheaters, and the term Michigan man doesn't mean anything anymore. I mean, to go and beat Penn State on the road with the defense they had with Jim Harbaugh being suspended 12 hours before while he's on the plane and Sharon Moore has to step up and be the offensive line coach the offensive coordinator and the head coach what a win to do it against the Buckeyes it's hard Jim Harbaugh proved you can be an excellent coach and still can't beat them that's how great the Buckeyes program is Sharon Moore is 1-0 against them now unbelievable performance that alone would have taken the sting and the stigma away from oh Michigan is just cheaters but to move forward and to beat Alabama, and then to hold the most prolific offense in the country to 13 points. I'm telling you, not only does it legitimize everything great about this team and the team for the last couple seasons, but you know it really propels them into the conversation of being one of the greatest college football teams of this century, for sure. You've been able to transition pretty easily into co-hosting a radio show on the Daily Wire. Had a chance to see part of your live stream. I tell you, that's brave. I wouldn't want someone watching me while I was watching my team compete for a title. But what's the most challenging part about fitting into a space where, similar to sports, there are so many options. It's such a crowded field. Somehow you have to figure out a way to stand out. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we're always having conversations on uh, what what topics to discuss. Um, you know, we never – Jake Crane, when he first came to me, said, you know, I think I've got something special here, but I want to be on video, and I was a video producer. And I said, okay, let's give this a shot. I mean, all of us after COVID were thinking there are going to be opportunities here from a lot of people. I want to be one of the guys who has a positive post-COVID story rather than, oh, this unfortunate situation our entire country went through, I was negatively impacted by and I lost my business or something. So I was just taking every meeting I possibly could. I met Jake Crane. He had a solid show where he wanted to talk about college football. And I agreed that, hey, this is great. There's no profanity in our show, but we also find ways to push the boundaries. How can we discuss certain topics? And it was always apolitical. You know, it was mm-hmm. always apolitical down there. And let's talk about sports. And that's when Colin Cowherd found us. And then, you know, there started to be college football coaches being fired because they wouldn't be vaccinated. We always felt like, well, those are situations we probably should be discussing, but, you know, we're not. We're we're apolitical. We're going to just talk about sports. And then it just, it was serendipitous. Ben Shapiro at the Daily Wire reached out and said, I love your guys' show. I want a sports (laughs) show at the Daily Wire because of my love of sports. Would you consider moving to Nashville? And it was, um, you know, I had been a Daily Wire subscriber prior to that. I had been a a, a listener and a fan of his, but I still love Colin Cowherd. You know, it was uh, it was a, a tough situation and a tough decision, but we said, hey, if we go to the Daily Wire, we can sort of push the, the boundaries a little bit more on what it seems like people want to hear. And it just so happens to intersect with what we're already great at talking about, which is sports and, and what we're knowledgeable about. We said, look, let's let's figure out a way where we can incorporate some of these things and just have the honest conversations that people would have when they're sitting around uh, a living room or a bar room or a dinner table. Uh, let's do that, but let's do it live every single morning and see if people enjoy it. So figuring out how to push those boundaries, but to remain fun, never be disingenuous, never do something 
just for the clickbait. You asked what the biggest challenge. It's uh, not being on the field. You know, I was a ball player for so long. It was just go to work and play ball. You know, don't don't talk about it. That is a little bit challenging. But I have to say, if I can't be out in there in the huddle and I can't be on the field or in the locker room, then it still is a pretty good gig to be able to bring years and years and, and decades at this point of, of knowledge and experience with the game for, for other people to enjoy it a little more. And one of the segments I do weekly is called Huddle Up, where we spend two minutes breaking down the most exciting touchdown from the previous week. And nice. everyone seems to enjoy that. So I'm just I'm trying to give people a glimpse into what it's like to be in the locker room and in the huddle. And hopefully uh, they're enjoying it. All access and behind the scenes is what sports fans really dig. And if you are a former athlete at the highest level, like playing for Michigan, well, then people uh, get a piece of uh, insight that they can't get anywhere else. So David Cohn, former Michigan quarterback, kind of reveling in what has been the greatest season for the Wolverines, even as we wait for some news of Jim Harbaugh. But gosh, plenty of news elsewhere. So find him on Twitter, David Adam Cohn, creating company on The Daily Wire. And we are happy to have you anytime on the show, David. Thank you so much for a couple of minutes. Thank you for having me. I'll join anytime. It could be Jim Harbaugh next. It was Nick Saban. Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick in the NFL ranks. And wouldn't Jim Harbaugh just be the cherry on top of what has been the wackiest week when it comes to coaching ranks and makes Mike Vrabel look like small fry because he was only in Nashville for six seasons and, of course, didn't win a Super Bowl or a championship. All right, on Twitter, A-Law Radio or After Hours CBS, the Game of the Week poll, all complaints should be directed to Producer Jay. There are six games. There are only four poll spots, uh, so you can respond accordingly. Uh, it's also on our Facebook page, too, and we're glad to connect with you always. 855-212-4CBS. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. We're going to move on, and um, I look forward and excited for the future. Um, but always very, very appreciative of the opportunity here, the support here, uh, and, you know, the, what Robert, what you've done for me. This is a results business, and certain things in life, it's instinctual. I think both of us felt that the time was right for each of us to go off in our separate directions. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Bob Kraft believes the time is right. And according to the reports, this is a mutual agreement. All right, so Bill Belichick was under contract and now he's out of his contract He's not getting fired, at least that's not the terminology that's being used, which would seem to indicate some type of an agreement between the two parties, that he is free to go and coach elsewhere, and that Bob Kraft is not going to try to trade him. And he mentions Tom Brady in explaining why he wouldn't trade Belichick and get compensation for him from another franchise, that he felt like Belichick should be able to dictate his own future, that he's earned his outright release, quote-unquote, from the New England Patriots, and he's earned autonomy over what he does next. Both of them dressed formally and making these formal comments on Thursday in Foxborough, and 
It's not often that you see Belichick in a suit, but he was dressed for the occasion and made extensive comments in thanking the fans, the ones that he sees all over the world, he said, even the reporters, mostly taking stock of his time with the Patriots, those 24 seasons, saying that they were beyond his wildest dreams and sharing how appreciative he is of the players that he worked with and the players that were the ones responsible for the success on the field. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. I'm sure you all saw, or many of you saw, the post from Tom Brady on Instagram, and he has talked about this multiple times, about the possibility, said he didn't have any insight, but you knew that enough time had passed. And even the year after Brady departed New England, the iceberg was melting, so to speak, a little time, a little distance, and the two were very generous and complimentary of one another. And it's obvious that neither would have the success that he did without the other. And then you throw the Bob Kraft piece into it as well, and they captured lightning in a bottle. From ownership and the support, the financial resources, the trust in the guys he hired, the trust in Belichick to do it his way. Belichick and Brady, of course, working together on the football side of things. None of this happens if the three of them don't come together in the same place at the same time with the same common goals. And Bob Kraft knows that. I don't think either one of those two would have accomplished what they accomplished if they weren't together. And it's, you know... I think they were both the best at their professions. And, you know, we were lucky to have them together for two decades. 20 years, unprecedented success in the NFL. No one can take that away, but I'm really excited. Rather than closing the book on Belichick, I'm excited to see the next chapter. This story isn't done. But where? We're hearing from listeners in Dallas to our 105.3 The Fan affiliate that it is all the rage. Belichick coaching the Cowboys should they lose to the Packers on Sunday. Hmm. As if this plot twist wasn't already scintillating enough. (laughs) It's After Hours, CBS on Twitter, and then on our Facebook page, and you can vote for the After Hours game of the week. And we're going to launch hot and heavy into talking about Wild Card Weekend. But even as these guys are getting in front of microphones and talking about their games to come, it was interesting to hear from some like Jalen Hurts, who, by the way, hasn't thrown a football since he dislocated his finger in Week 18. Jalen Hurts talking about his former college coach, Nick Saban. A sad day in the, in the, in the game of football, just knowing how much he's been um, to um, the game, you know, and it's surreal. You know, I know for me personally, uh, he's, he's always been coaching ever since I've been alive um, and growing up and knowing what he's been and then knowing why I committed to go to that university because 
of the man he was and the intentions he had and, and the way he went about his business and his process. I have a ton of respect for him. Um, he'll definitely be missed in the game, but I know he'll he'll be enjoying himself and be out there watching. I know he can't move too far from it, but Coach Saban knows I have a ton of respect for him um, and everything that he's been able to do to, to help his team, uh, help his players. And that's just one example. They're everywhere. Alabama players, Alabama products, Alabama alum, everywhere in the NFL. Najee Harris is another one, a running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I remember my first time meeting Nick, he came all the way down um, to California in the hood. And I mean, no security. Well, he did have security. He had security. <laughs> uh, yeah, he did have security. Um, and then, you know, he came to my house and, you know, I had a little small little hut. And, you know, he was just chopping it up with me. He was a good guy. Um, so, you know, and, and and coming throughout here and, you know, my four years going out there, I guess my four years in Alabama, you know, he taught me a lot of the X's and O's and what to expect in the NFL. And we had a lot of meetings of just one-on-one of uh, some things I need to work on and just improving my game and um, just really how to become a first-rounder for a running back, even though, you know, a lot of people don't like that. So, you know, he really elevated me. I hear from so many Alabama players that it was actually harder, more rigorous, tougher, uh, more disciplined, more buttoned up. Uh, there are more expectations at Alabama even than when they got to the NFL. It, it seemed almost like a a breather, easier, if you will, in the NFL because of the way that Nick Saban ran his program, ran the system. It was a standard of excellence, period. No excuses. Let's talk to Kevin, who's in Alabama. Kevin, welcome to After Hours CBS Sports Radio. Thank you. I really like your show. Uh, you do a really good job. Thank you. Um, I just want to talk about Coach Saban. Um, you know, we hate to see him go. I mean, it's been I, – I grew up in a Bear Bryant era, so, hmm. I mean, I've been lucky to see two coaches like this come through here. Um uh, and uh, I was going to ask you if uh, the rumor is here as of late last night uh, that the coach of Washington is, a, uh, is the number one prospect. Uh, do you think that's a fit? Well, I think that if you consider what Kalen DeBoer did at Washington and the way that he was able to cultivate players and the relationships that he have that he has with players, for instance, Michael Penix, you know, plucking him from uh, from where he was and getting him to start at Washington because of the relationship they had that went back to uh, Indiana. It, it, he obviously can coach. I mean, to take a team like Washington and and what they were able to do offensively uh, and and get that team to the championship game, there's certainly talent there, and he's obviously a hot prospect. I I think I would be surprised if it wasn't someone who had Alabama ties. Uh, so I, I don't know whether or not he's the top candidate, but I can certainly understand why he is a hot candidate because he took Washington in this year of transition as they get ready to depart for the Big Ten, and he took them all the way to the championship game and along the way had this incredible offense and lots of flair and style and, and a lot of production. Well... Uh, I really think that Steve Sarkisian was the number one prospect, but 
He's he's not leaving Texas. Yeah, that's a tough one, too. I've heard that. Even our guest uh, just said this earlier this hour, that that Sark would be an option because of his ties to Saban in Alabama most recently. But, yeah, how do you leave Texas after what you've started there and and the fact that Texas, too, was in the college football playoff and you have all the same resources, all the same uh, profile, and you're about to join the SEC. So, I'm not saying it would be a lateral move necessarily, uh, but I can't I can't imagine that he would leave after just getting to Texas and establishing uh, at least the groundwork for his own culture and and for winning there. Oh yeah, uh, well, the Kirby Smart would have been the number one prospect, but you knew he wasn't going to leave Georgia. Mm. I mean, uh, uh, so I. You know, I just think that uh, I think the guy at Washington right now, from what I hear from, from the main people around here, uh, uh, is a, is the number one prospect. All right, it's interesting. I mean, I knew he was on the list, but I wasn't sure that Kalen DeBoer was the top prospect. But certainly, his ability to evaluate talent and also to uh, prepare and to get his team ready to play on the various different opponents. I don't. He has no experience in the SEC, uh, and so he's not familiar with that part of the country or football in that arena, but maybe that's not a deterrent at all. Uh, I still say Lane Kiffin is right there on the list. Dabo Swinney has to be on the list as well. We know Dan Lanning is staying at Oregon, so that's not happening. Thanks, Kevin. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio.